Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. TGIF indeed. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour. Glad to have you with us. And of course, we're always glad to be working alongside, if you count 3,000 miles of diagonal distance, count it, you'd have to kick it to the curb as we come together via Skype with our buddy, bad boy, Benny Mathers at the board. How are you, Benny? Doing very well, you too. How are my favorite Floridians? Well, we're trying not to get sick. We are right? so sheltered in place, you can't even believe Don't it. Don't move. <laughs> we, we have the doors locked from the outside. We cannot get out. It's apocalypse. <laughs> oh, it, it's apocalypse here in Florida. Wow. Surge, surge, big surge, epicenter coming to Florida. Oh, my God. So I, we, I saw like a recent, yeah. is it 4,000 new cases? Is that a, a proper? 3,800 yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. People, come uh, on. I know. I know. Open too soon. That's going to be something we're going to take up with our very esteemed guest, Dr. Bernie Siegel, today. But just before we bring on our one of our favorite gentlemen of all time on Manson Mitchell among our guests, I did want to ask you, Benny, how's the roller skating traffic on I-5 going? Roller skating traffic? I'm I'm wondering why you would mention it that way. Como had it. I saw it on Facebook because I have a few Como people <laughs> among my friends. And I think it was overnight by Lakeview and the uh, where you go right off uh, onto uh, Lakeview and then uh, left. You just keep going into Mercer. Seattle Center on Mercer. Okay. At that patch of I-5 North was blocked by protesters who were bicycling, oh. walking, and even roller skating weaving in and out of traffic it got to the point where several cars turned around on the freeway and headed south on i-5 north to I'm get sorry. away from all of it i'm sorry just really people just sit still i mean come on first of all second of all it's oh man no i did not hear about that but i'm amazed that they had they did that unless they're instructed by dot but it doesn't sound like that ever happened no okay so that's uh, that's life that we are living today. Life I'm going to get Seattle. into some of this. There are implications. All of this seems like a big lesson on Juneteenth. Yep. And we want to hear from a man who has a very deep perspective on life from more than one angle. Let me do the honors today, Suzanne. Bernie S. Siegel, MD, is a well-known proponent. He's a physician, he's a philosopher, and yes, he is a proponent of integrative and holistic approaches to healing that heal not just the body, but also the mind and soul. His multi-million best-selling first book, Love, Medicine, and Miracles, was published back in 1986. He is the author of too many books to list here, as well as many audio CDs. Dr. Bernie's realization that we all need help dealing with difficulties in life, not just the physical ones, has led him to work where he helps people fix their lives before they are broken with prescriptions for living, healthy living, sound living. And all of Puget Sound is treated now to another visit on Manson Mitchell by Dr. Bernie Siegel. Dr. Bernie, we're so glad to have you with us again. Thank you. It's good to you be know, with you. 
You know, uh, Bernie, when we were asking you to come on the show, we had something in particular in mind, and it's it's only gotten bigger since we asked you, and that really has to do with the fact that as a physician and as a healer and as a very successful physician for decades working with cancer patients who are under extreme stress, you have figured out strategies for those people to heal and whether it was drawing pictures of their family or bringing in angels or whatever it was you had a a way to work with people for their best outcome and since we said we need to get a doctor on the show here two things The COVID-19, the patients, the family, the general public, and oh my gosh, the entire state of Florida is under extreme stress now from this pandemic. And in addition to that, we have the stress of Juneteenth, the racial inequality, all the protests going on. It's like we have multiple stresses but I'm, I'm wondering if the, the strategies that you used with cancer patients are are translatable to these other stresses that we're going through today yes well thank you you know we create the stress the stressor is your mind not the physical truths and what changed my life was a patient saying to me i need to know how to live between office visits. She didn't say, I want my disease cured. I need to know how to live. Because she said, you're a nice guy. I feel better when I'm in the office with you, but I can't take you home with me. So I need to know how to live between office visits. And that's what I started doing. Hundreds of years ago, Jung said the same thing in, in another sense. He said, the diagnosis helps the doctor, but it doesn't help the patient. For there, the key thing is the story, for it alone shows human background and human suffering, and only at that point can the doctor's therapy begin to operate. So that's what I learned, to treat a patient's experience. And what's very interesting is, to anybody who's going through trouble, say, what is it like to be going through this? How would I describe what I'm going through to someone else? Then listen to the words you come up with. If you said it's a wake-up call, a new beginning, a blessing, fine. You're learning from, you might say, your mortality and difficulties. They become your labor pains. But when you say pressure, failure, roadblock, uh, I mean, it just goes on and on. Then my next question is, how do those words fit your life? And I've seen such dramatic changes in people when they suddenly realize why they're calling cancer a failure. It's because their parents committed suicide and they must have been a failure as a child. Your pain is so intense. The pressure is incredible. You're going to be admitted to the hospital until you come up with the word pressure. And I said, what else in your life fits? Her marriage. Her pain disappeared literally in 15 minutes, and she got up and went home. 
and nurses at the hospital used to say to me, "How can your patients have a problem? What is it? They refuse pain medication." I said, "It ever occurred to you that they're not hurting?" And they thought I was nuts to say that. But I learned how to communicate with people, even under anesthesia. People hear you. Yeah, you can talk to your family members while they're sleeping. Talk softly. They'll hear you. Give them good messages. You know, you can say to your kids, I love you. I love you. And they'll hear it. Believe me. It's in there. Um, and, and those are all the things I've learned. And then when people didn't die when they were supposed to, I would say to them, how come you didn't die? And they always told you a story about their life. You see, what's interesting is a poem. I always say read fiction if you want to know the truth. Solzhenitsyn in his book Cancer Ward has one of the men in the hospital say, hey, I found this book. It says here there are cases of self-induced healing. Now, what you hear doctors say is, there are spontaneous remissions. No, they're not spontaneous. Ask the patient, how come you didn't die? And you'll see it was self-induced. And the symbol was a rainbow-colored butterfly. See? Butterfly symbol of transformation. You got to struggle, get out of that cocoon. What's the rainbow? Harmony. All the emotions in your life are in order. And the poem I was going to mention, Miss G, <clears throat> doctor comes home from the office, says to his wife, cancer's a funny thing. Childless women get it. Men, when they retire, it's as if there had to be an outlet for their foiled creative fire. And I love it when you recite that years ago in front of doctors and you hear somebody yell, just because it rhymes doesn't make it true. But it is true. They Men will sit in the office and say, there's no point in living, I can't work anymore. And women will say, I can't die, I have nine kids until they're all married and out of the house. And they go on living. And that's what people have to understand. We're all going to die someday. But enjoy living. Then your body gets a message and says, keep me here as long as possible. Monday morning, we have more heart attacks, strokes, suicides, and illnesses. Now, is that a coincidence? No. <laughs> it's how you feel about Monday. And I don't live my life in fear. I mean, I interpret fear as it was meant to be interpreted, to protect me. So if I'm walking down the street and I see a rabid dog running loose, yeah, I'm going to run and climb up a tree to get away from the dog. And then I'll think, Jesus, how did I do that? Um, well, it's what is empowered by the fear, certain brain functions, muscle functions, so forth. So when you're fearing a virus, a disease, um, losing your job, whatever, it's all more likely to happen because of what is changing in your body that doesn't enhance your ability to cope with those emotional fears, which aren't really threatening your life, but it's an emotional fear. So it depletes you and makes it more likely you're going to have trouble versus if you said, let me look at this in a different way. Let me see it, the things I'm worried about, as not happening. 
and that when I walk in and see the boss, he's going to say, you know, uh, we're having problems, but you're a wonderful, hard-working employee, and I certainly wouldn't let go of you. Um, and those are the things that happen. And another from Elizabeth Kula-Ross, I always hear her saying it to me, there are no coincidences. No. Jung said it this way, the future is unconsciously prepared long in advance and therefore can be guessed by clairvoyance. So you go get your fortune told, they're reading you. They're telling you what they sense in you. And when we live with a vision of what we desire, you're more likely to meet the people who have it happen for you. I've got to tell you one, I'm always telling stories, but guy got fired from his job. On the way home, his car breaks down. <clears throat> so he's standing there and, you know, asking for help, and somebody pulls over and uh, says, okay, I'll give you a ride um, to where, you know, you want to go, the garage or your home or whatever. And he gets in the car and off they go. While they're driving, they're talking, and he mentions that he got fired. And the guy driving tells him, that's interesting, I'm looking for a certain type of uh, worker at my business. And the guy says, yeah, that's what I do. So he ends up with a job because his car broke down, and this fellow picked him up. Do I think that's a coincidence? No. I think because of the way he thinks and feels, uh, it was meant to be that they met. And, you know, you might say the curse becomes a blessing. Uh, and now he, his car breaks down, he's been fired, and now he's got a new job, all because of troubles that he had. And that's what people have to learn. How do you turn a curse into a blessing? It takes strength. It takes attitude. Um, but it's following your heart. That's the best way to put it. Um, Bernie, I got a, I got a, I, I got a question to ask you regarding uh, the pandemic, because um, you know I've been following the the numbers and the tracking, and when right. we opened the show, I said, you know, we're it, Andrew Cuomo some time ago said that he thought that Florida was going to be the next epicenter weeks ago. Just looking at the numbers and, you know, how, what it is that we're doing. Your first question is, you know, what is it like going through this? Now, the numbers in your region of the country up northeast there are getting better. But I'd like to turn that your question on to you. What is it like for you, Dr. Bernie Siegel, going through the COVID-19? It's just another day. You know, I'm not normal. I don't have time to worry. I got too many problems already. And I know, as I said, I'm here for a limited amount of time. So what the hell is the use of being miserable and worrying? Why not try to enjoy it? Yeah, I put a mask on when I go shopping and I'll Good. put rubber gloves on, um, you know, when I'm in a store so I don't touch things that other people have handled. Um, Good. Talk to our kids when I visit them. Sometimes we'll all put masks on. But we're not living in fear. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pain in the butt. 
to have something like this happen and how it turns your world upside down. But uh, see, one of the things I really felt, what's the gift in this? See? Yeah. We were told right off the bat, stay home. And I said, that's number one that we all have to learn. This planet is our home. We're living together. Maybe it's time we all got along with each other and realized we're really one family. And the other was it's reduced pollution because people stayed home. And in some ways you could say reducing the population is not a bad thing either, though you hate to have loved ones die, obviously. But I'd say the biggest message is stay home. We're all here on the same apartment building. So let's get along with each other. Besides the coronavirus, look at all the stuff we're reading about, you know, how we treat each other because we're different. Yeah. Religions, skin color. I mean, years ago, as a surgeon, I used to say to people all the time, I got a picture of one of us, and you can't tell who it is. There's a black man standing with me. I said, I got a picture of one of us, and you can't tell who it is. And they'd look at you like, what the hell's wrong with you? He's black, you're white. And this minister friend of mine, when I said that with him, he's a black man, he pointed at his chest. Because I always say, what's it a picture of? Our hearts, our insides are all the same. I mean, if somebody walks into my office and says, I think I have appendicitis, does it matter whether it's a Muslim, a Jew, or a Christian, uh, or black, yellow, red, or white? No, I know where their appendix is. <laughs> you know, and I, I do paintings and portraits, and one I did were two naked children sitting, a white and a black child, and they're touching each other, and I entitled it, we're all the same color inside. You know, when you look at these two babies, it's, what the hell is different about them? Nothing, really. And I always say, I talk to God a lot, why did God make two things? Why is it a troubled world? Because God said a perfect world is not creation, it's a magic trick. You'd all be bored out of your mind if I made a perfect world. And the other is, he said, I want you to know who you're having dinner with. If I made you all the same in appearances, then you wouldn't know who the hell's in the house because you all look alike. So everybody's different, so they'll be unique, and you'll know them and can learn from them. And uh, that's so I live that way. I, mean, I, I, I don't have time to worry. I mean, it doesn't mean some things, I, I don't like the word worry, but I think of things, I'm, see, I'm a surgeon. I'm always trying to improve everything. When I take the dog for a walk in the morning, I will pick up broken branches off the road. I will fix mailboxes of my neighbors uh, when I see the door is flopped open and broken. So the next day I bring things to fix it with. Um, that's how my mind goes. I'll fix, you know, trim a tree, um, decorate, uh, and I mean that literally. I, I do a lot of crazy things. It's like the artist in me. So when they deliver a newspaper in pretty plastic bags, 
I used the bags and I put them around my driveway and on the roadway, onto things, so people see little bits of color everywhere. And I know, you know, I, I mean, people, <laughs> when I say I know, I know they think he's a little nuts, but they enjoy having a nutty neighbor because he keeps making things interesting and different. Um, and uh, and when I say that, you have to come up my driveway because I, over the years, when I see road signs falling and nobody picks them up or takes them, I bring them home, and they're all in my driveway. So you know, dead end, right turn, stop here on red, speed bumps. You come up my driveway, it's like where am I? And there are some people who figure, oops, I must be in the wrong place. This is a, you know, <laughs> can't be a driveway. Um, but I warn them ahead of time so they don't get frightened off by all my craziness. Oh, yeah, and I have a mailbox that's up about, I don't know, maybe 40 feet in the air, and on the side of it, it says air mail. <laughs> and <clears throat> it's on a big metal pipe way up high. And mm -hmm. I had put it across the street where there were war um these posts, you know, for protection when there's a drop-off on the side of the road so you don't go off the road. And my neighbor said, people think I did that. I don't want it there. Uh, so I put it back, you know, on, in our driveway because um, I don't mind if people think I'm a little nuts. Um, it, it just, all I'm doing is, as I said, trying to get people to smile. And that's what they thank you for. Um, even at the hospital, I would say, look, Christmas is coming. If you're home, you get me a present. If, you, if I can't get you well and out of the hospital, I'll buy you something. And it just, you know, I just can't help it. And let me add this. I mean, this is something I literally do. Think of it, you know, with the coronavirus. How are you doing? Everybody stops you on the street. I tell people, Stop bringing up all my troubles. I don't want to tell you how I'm doing and everything that's wrong in my life. Next time you see me, say, you're looking very well today. And I tell you, that is such a gift. Because you go into a store if there's a new employee and they say, you're looking well today. And I start in with, don't ask me that. And all the customers think, what a terrible man. Um, and then old-time employees come out. And they see me and they say, oh, you're looking well today. And then the whole store busts out laughing because I've been training the new employee to do that. Also, when you call restaurants, order something else. Call a Chinese restaurant and order a pizza. Call the pizza <laughs> place, order Chinese food. What's the benefit of it? They know you because there aren't too many crazy people in the world. So if I call the Chinese restaurant and say, look, I want a pizza. Oh, Dr. Siegel. I say, yep. They know it's me because I'm the only one <laughs> who acts that way if I don't take my medicine. See? Um, and again, I'd say, let the child in you survive and thrive and to jump back to practical things. I learned a lot from concentration camp survivors when I started doing this work. I wanted to know how that people survive. And they're giving you the same messages. <clears throat> they said things like, Ich liebe dich, to the German God, I love you. 
when they were choosing who to send to a gas chamber and who to send to a work camp. And when somebody walks up to you and says, I love you, it's a lot harder to send them to a gas chamber. And I tell people to become a love warrior. When somebody's driving you crazy, and I mean this literally, say, I love you. I've done this on the streets multiple times with wild, screaming people. Um, and every time I've walked up and said, I don't know what's happening in your life, but I want you to know I love you. And they have become totally silent and walked away. With one teenager, because I think this is the, the root problem, I said to him, he was screaming obscenities, and what blew my mind is I asked the cop to go over and get him to stop. And the cop said, that's not my job. I couldn't believe a cop would say that. But I went over to this teenager and I said, I want you to know something. I love you. I'm sorry your parents don't. He shut down, turned, and I know he got in his car and went home. Um, and people come over to me and say, thank you, thank you. I learned something from you. Thank you. Yeah, it's. I just got a Father's Day card from one of my chosen children um, because in the office many years ago, a young woman said to me, you're my CD. I said, what the hell are you talking about? I'm a CD. She said, you're my chosen dad. And she was suicidal, and I let her know I loved her. And then 30 years ago, I didn't know it was that far back, I had a, a message on my answering machine. Dr. Siegel, um, <clears throat> You have Jack Kevorkian's phone number. I want to be dead. I've been sexually abused. I have a brain tumor. I, uh, I called her up. Becky, I love you. I'll be your new father. And I always get a Father's Day card from her before our five regular children. Um, and, you know, we've been connected for 30 years. I couldn't believe it when she told me that. And we've met. I've been down in Texas where she is, and we got together. But those are the gifts. Be a love warrior. Spread love. Always say, be a tool of our creator, God's right arm. And try to bring love. And what happens in the concentration camps, too, because um, this is written up in a medical journal by a physician. He said he expected all his patients with heart disease, cancer, other things to just go in there and die. But they were told, if you can't work, we don't feed you. And he said he couldn't believe where the will to live came in. The people who wanted to survive didn't end up in the infirmary where they were just put in bed and not fed and died. And so he ended up writing an article about it to say, you know, that power of the will to live and what it did. They had no medications, no treatments, and they survived. And the other day, I got an email. <clears throat> Somebody wrote an article, it was one of the surgical journals, saying how meditation, attitude, treatment of the patient was a benefit. What I did 40 years ago and was called controversial for, 
now they've written a nice article about all those benefits. And at the end it said, we saved $3,000 per patient because they all went home sooner from the hospital. But yet, 40 years ago, I was a nutcase. What difference does it make what you think, your attitude, your mind? Yeah. When doctors got sick, then they realized what I was saying was very true. But it, it was, you know, it's taken all that time, and that's the sick part. Uh, medical education isn't an education. It's, it's, well, an education about diseases, but not about people. And a thousand years ago, uh, Maimonides, I loved the man, he said two things that are so true. Disease is a loss of health. It's not God punishing you. Because there's so many religious, so-called religious leaders who say, you know, yes, God will give you cancer if you are sinning and not going to church and blah, blah, you get cancer and then you'll come back. That's sick. And what Maimonides said was disease is a loss of health and we're told to help our neighbors find what they've lost. And the other that is still true, if people took as good care of themselves as they do their animals, they would suffer fewer illnesses. I'll give you a test question. You have nine cats. True story. You and your husband smoke in the house. The cats are developing breathing problems. One develops lung cancer and dies. What do you do? Well, you're asking me what I Take would do? Break. Yeah, what do I you would, do? Uh, well, I would stop smoking. It. I'm a non-smoker, so but if I'm in a situation where I'm even poisoning my beloved pet, I'm going to find a way to get over that bad habit. Yep, that's the wrong answer. Um, <laughs> this lady wrote an article for Cat Fancy Magazine, and she discusses how her nine cats and she and her husband smoke. The end, however, which blew me away, and that the magazine even published it, was Doug and I now smoke in the yard. We're not killing our cats anymore. We hope you're not killing yours. I wrote the magazine. I said, don't you think you should mention something about not killing yourself and caring for yourself as, and loving yourself the way you do your pets? They don't publish my letter. But it blew my mind that that magazine, this was a number of years ago, could publish it without a comment. So, folks, you want to kill yourself? Fine. Go ahead. Just be good to your pets. Now, the other Ernie. side of the coin, I had a woman and uh, her family came in. She had developed cancer. And they said, my mother has 12 cats. We don't visit her. The house stinks. So we'll get rid of the cats and then start her cancer treatment. I said, no. They look at me. What do you mean, no? I said, you get rid of the cats. Your mother's a dead woman. Go clean the house and tell her, nobody wants 12 cats, Mom. Then she can't die. And they were so happy for what I told them because they saw what it did to their mother um, to say, nobody wants 12 cats. They're like her children, so she's not going to die. And those relationships keep people alive. In a nursing home, the right side of the hallway they went in and said, we're giving you a plant. 
You have to take care of it. Water it, take it out in the sun when it's a nice day. On the other side of the hall, they said, we're decorating your room. The people who had to take care of the plant lived an average of three to four years longer than the people across the hall. So, you know, it could be a goldfish, but if it's depending on you, you have a reason to survive. And a reason Dr. Bernie Siegel, uh, Dr. Bernie, hold on, we got to take one break here. We'll be away for a couple of minutes, then come back. I wanted to, this idea of caring there and in demonstrable ways, I wanted to go back to the Holocaust and the camp experiences and the experiencers, because I read something a long time ago that I found fascinating, and I'd like to take that up with you. But first, let's go ahead and take our one and only break of this hour. Visiting with us today, Dr. Bernie Siegel. Always a pleasure to have him. Great physician, great philosopher, all in one remarkable man. Glad you are with us to join in this experience. On Manson Mitchell, you're tuned in to Seattle's home of Alternative Talk, AM 1150. We'll be right back. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 a.m. or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them, but I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me, and my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Dr. Bernie Siegel of Love, Medicine, and Miracles fame. We could all use a miracle right now. 
On Saturday, astrologer Eileen Grimes starts her radio day with us, and then we join her on her show in hour number two. Two hours of Mance, Mitchell, and Grimes on the cusp of summer. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Mance and Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Bringing good vibes to the Puget Sound and the world. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our very special guest this hour, Dr. Bernie Siegel. And we are, we're happy to have him here. We want to make sure we give out your website. And as I understand it, it's BernieSiegelMD.com. Do I have right. that right? Yep. Okay, BernieSiegelMD.com. There are so many books and CDs and things. You can go shopping and have a great time finding all kinds of things that uh, Dr. Bernie has written. Uh, one of my favorites had to do with the the, the uh, drawings that you had people oh, do. Yeah. And, and you're talking today about being an artist. And it occurs to me that um, hopefully, you know, you're wearing a mask and gloves and not being too foolish about going out, which I don't expect you are. But during this time of, of doing more sheltering at home than traveling around, how how are you spending time these days? Are you working on your art, or what it what is it that you're doing? Well, I get interviewed a lot of times. Ah, uh, you know that takes up a good part of the day. I still sure. have lots of pets. One of my books is Love Animals and Miracles, and I describe what was the Seagull Zoo because we have five kids and we took care of every kind of creature you can name. Broke all the zoning laws, but nobody ever got mad at us because they knew we were doing it because we loved animals. So uh, <laughs> I keep laughing because I'd call the police sometimes when some creature would disappear. And, uh, you know, they didn't know what I was talking about with the names of all these exotic pets that veterinarians gave us when people didn't want them anymore. But it, it again, enhanced a sense of love of life in all our kids. They would get mad at me for swatting a bug in the house. You know, Dad, open the door, let it out. Um, it's just unbelievable. And yeah, also, and Gary takes our spiders out too. Parts of life. Um, there's yeah. one story I wrote. Uh, you can't sleep with the butterfly. And this is a true story. I mean, there are stories on my website. Also, deceiving people into health. So you learn the power of words when you're telling people a lie, but it's has a hypnotic effect and benefits them. But you can't sleep with a butterfly. Had to do with my wife and I traveling to my uh, to Hawaii where a patient of mine had died, the island of Kauai, because her mother had lived there and she wanted to be with her mother before she died and straighten out their relationship. We get there, go into a store. There's a butterfly flying around in the store my wife puts her hand up because we're always rescuing everything. The butterfly just flies over, lands on her hand, and we carry it out of the store, then expecting it to leave. But it hops up on my wife's shoulder and gets in the car with us. Then it goes into our hotel room with us, just sitting on my wife's shoulder. And that night, why it's called You Can't Sleep with a Butterfly, I said to my wife, look, you've got to get rid of that butterfly. We can't go to bed with a butterfly on your shoulder. So my wife went out on the porch, brushed it off, came in and said, all right, I brushed it off. I said, look at your other shoulder. 
it came back in on her other shoulder. And I said, it must be the spirit of my patient who died. I said, there's no way we can account for this. So I just started talking to the butterflies, saying, look, if you can hop on the table, give you something to eat, <laughs> we're going to go to bed, then I'll take you to the workshop tomorrow. So the butterfly did that. The next day, I said, I want you to jump in a paper bag. And I mean this. I'm talking to a butterfly, and we'll carry you there, and then I'll let you out and talk about the symbolism of the butterfly transformation. So the butterfly jumps into the paper bag. We drive there, an outdoor workshop. I talk about the butterfly, open the bag, it flies out, and then stayed over our head for nine hours, the entire length of the workshop and the lunch break. At the end of the nine hours, when I said, we're done, and everybody got up to leave, the butterfly flew away. And I have several pictures of my wife with the butterfly on her shoulder and her hand. It's incredible. And again, what was mystical? My wife died two years ago. And a few months ago, I hear a knocking on the window, a noise in the house. So I went to see what it was. There was a butterfly in the house, the exact same breed of the one from Hawaii. I have no idea how it got in the house. You know, it wasn't in the middle of summer with butterflies flying around. And I put my hand up like my wife had done, and the butterfly flew right over and landed on my hand. And we walked outside, and I let it go. And we could have a show with you if you want, where I can just talk about how I know we don't die. I mean, our bodies do, but not our. our next time you're on, yes. next time you're on, you're on. We'll do uh, that. We love to talk about that particular subject. That's right up there at the top of our list for sure. My wife Bernie. has been communicating with me for two years. Please um, hold that story. Um, yes. Well, let me tell you two things about numbers, because as Jung said, numbers have quantity and meaning. Um, mm -hmm. She was born on 9-9, nine, nine, so 9 is important. Nine months after she died, my heart beat became irregular, and it was so classical for me. What organ in my body is having a problem? My heart. I loved her. And I go to the emergency room, they put me in room 9, they said, we don't have a room in the hospital yet. And then finally, one opened up the next day, 819, which would be 99 again. And when I looked at the wristband they put on to identify me, it has an 8, which is the number of a new beginning, then 996633. And every time I've gone to the doctor, all the numbers add up to 9s. And I've saved all the wristbands. And I know she's hanging around taking care of me and then finding a dime and a penny in all kinds of bizarre places. I mean, you know, what convinces me, I was making the bed the other day, and the blanket and sheets were pulled out of my hands. I'm going to pull them across the bed to tighten them, and it pulled out of my hands and flopped back. Lying on the mattress was a dime and a penny. Now, I mean, that is totally unexplainable. There's no way coins are going to get into my bed underneath blankets you know <laughs> yeah. yeah you're right yeah. no those stories are, are wonderful and the whole subject is endlessly fascinating for Suzanne and myself and our listeners right. so I already know our next interview is going to right. center on and that Dr. Our Bernie, because we want and to hear let it let me mention this got to give you a commercial 
Um, my grandson, I started to write a book called No Endings, Only Beginnings. It's called The Doctor's Notes on Living, Loving, and Learning Who You Are. No Endings, Only Beginnings. And I was talking to one of our grandchildren and realized how spiritual he was in, in helping me write. Because he's 30, and it took me twice as many years to learn what he is. So he and I put our poetry together and his photography, because he's a nature photographer, Charlie is his name, and it's called When You Realize How Perfect Everything Is. And let me just say one word about it, because on the cover, he has a bird flying through this beautiful sky and color. Um, and I said to him, Charlie, there's two of us have written a book. Why don't you have two birds? He said, no, that's the person reading the book finding their way that's what we're helping them do mm -hmm. and that's why i love him and, and respect him so for the things he says and feels and so i recommend those two books to people um to help guide them i i, I wanted to write a book and just call it bible too but people <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> there might be some so problems with marketing no <laughs> dr bernie i wanted to ask you i wanted to go back to the camp experience during the holocaust it has been studied not exhaustively i don't think you can ever stop calling it to the mentality of humanity to realize the enormity of what happened mm. in the camps i read many years ago how some people survived their strategy, and it sort of came up organically in the moment, their strategy was to establish what became known as a gift relation with someone or a few other people in the camp. Mm. This gift relation involved perhaps breaking off a bit of the bread with what meager rations they were fed, even as they were slave labor and worked to death. They would take off a, a piece of bread or some vegetables or a potato, a chunk of potato from their soup, and they would share it with other people. And then they, in turn, would bring something that they had, and they had nothing. But whatever they could find that might be a benefit and might be enjoyed by the other person, there became this reciprocity of gift giving. And there are people, Holocaust survivors, who said that that got them through this right. horrific experience. And it was a matter of caring enough, giving it enough of a damn about your fellow human being that you both could survive what is unimaginable horror. Yes. I mean, that's why I have many of the books that were written by survivors because I was looking for help years ago on how to help cancer patients. So I was looking for the qualities of survivors. And one, I can't remember his name anymore, um, but when they were on a line and the guards were, you know, they'd come up to the head of the line, the guards would say, you go there, you go there. They were sending them to work camps, gas chamber. Um, they didn't know which, you know, one they were being sent to. But this one prisoner went up and he would say, Ich liebe dich, to the guard, and it's, I love you. And it's like I mentioned what I do on the streets when people are abusive and threatening. I love you. And they would invariably be sent to a work camp. One that really touched my heart, in a sense, was this was a person who was helping everyone else. 
and they announced that a train is leaving. It's going to take people to a new camp, which is much better and, you know, healthier for them. And, and a lot of the prisoners volunteered to go get on it. And this one fellow had been selected to get on it, but he gave his position to someone else who was much sicker than he was. He said, you take my place. Go get on the train. He learned later the train went to the gas chamber, not to another work camp, mm. that the guards were lying. But, again, you could say no coincidence. I mean, yeah, I feel bad about the other person, but because he was loving, he survived. And uh, those are the things we have to keep remembering. You know, when you do something for someone else, you're doing something for yourself and for everyone else. I feel that we're all here to love the world in our own unique manner. And, uh, oh, I, I, all these people I've met. In San Francisco, my wife and I were there to give a lecture. We were walking down the street very, as fast as we could because we were late. We had to make a connection, you know, for transportation. And a woman was sitting on the steps of a house, and she was asking for donations. She was a homeless lady. And I felt so guilty because I'm late. I don't have time to stop and get my wallet out. and get. So I said to her, I'm sorry, I'm late. I, I, I'm really sorry. I, I can't stop. And she said, you don't have to be sorry. It's all right. I melted. It was like meeting a saint. The sweetness in her voice. So I stopped and I came back. And I gave her a donation, but most of all, it's what she gave me, that peace, that feeling. And I met somebody the other day when I came out of Stop and Shop, that was the same thing. A another woman who's homeless and just sitting there. And we become friends. You know, I bought her a sandwich from Stop and Shop, and we were, we were friends. And I hope I meet her again soon, because giving her a gift is something. The part I have to keep working on, because this has happened, not just buying somebody a sandwich, but when you get a letter saying, I desperately need $10,000, I'll pay you back in 45 days, uh, it's about my business, and he was a friend of a friend of mine. So I trusted him, and I gave him the money. And it's over two years later, he's never paid me back. And he doesn't even answer an email or a phone call. And that's the part that, in a sense, hurts me. If he called up and he said, I'm sorry, I want you to know I love you and what you did for me. I just can't manage. That's fine. But when you meet this cold character who won't even answer you when you've saved his business and won't say I'm sorry, yeah, that bothers me. But when I say it bothers me, I don't let it bother me in the sense of keeping me awake at night, calling lawyers to go after him. No. Let him deal with it. I'm here to help him. And uh, if someday it gets through to him and he changes and his heart softens and he wakes up to life, wonderful. But if not, I'm not going to lose my sleep over that. Uh, I'm just trying to help people and do good things for them. You know, it's interesting, Bernie, because 
And thank you for those stories. That reminds me of how much people can communicate without saying a word. I have stood in supermarket lines and struck up conversations with people that radiated to the point where I felt they had a kind of glow. And I don't see auras there, but I have stood by people who just had this warm, welcoming presence before they've said a word. And I knew it was going to be comfortable to converse with them since we had a little time on our hands as people checked out ahead of us. And then there are other people who can stand there with a death grip on their shopping basket and they have a look on their face like if anybody talks to me, I'm going to kill them. And this is all wordless, and yet we communicate from ourselves, from our souls, if you will, to such an extent that we ward off some people and welcome others, or we feel warded off or welcomed. And I thought, this is this is really the sixth sense in a way. This is something that involves our five senses, but there's some psi factor, there's some X factor there involved that helps us to survive by knowing with whom we should or should not interact. Well, they they weren't grown up with love by their parents. I can tell you that. Two things. One is those who said my parents didn't love me, Harvard students, 98% had suffered a major illness by middle age. 24% of those who said I was loved had suffered an illness in a study that was done. So what they're taking out on you is their abuse and their rejection that they grew up with. And sometimes with a gun, they're out there killing everybody to get even. But what I've learned is everybody is wounded. So I know how to treat everybody. I know I can talk to everybody. There's nobody free of trouble. And the funniest thing that happened to me, and it impressed me, a lady with a bandage over her eye and stop and shop. I always say I go there for therapy. It's group therapy. I love walking up to people while they're wearing masks and saying, hey, you look familiar, and they've got a mask on. And they look at me like, what kind of nut is he? But anyway, this lady with a bandage over her arm poked me in the back. I turn around. She says, you are the only person at Stop and Shop who hasn't asked me what happened. That impressed the hell out of me. She has a visible wound. It's just kind of what you're saying. And people felt, well, if she's wounded, I can talk to her. And the crazy Bernie Siegel has a better answer. I said, well, I know what happened to you. I don't have to ask you. I have an abusive spouse also. And then she gave me a look like, what am I going to do with you? (laughs) But, (laughs) I mean, that's me, if you know what I mean. I can't help it. And uh, those things pop out of me. It's the kid in me. Dr. Bernie, we are looking forward to our next conversation with you, and thank you for giving us an hour today. I'll send you the bill. All right. (laughs) Very good. Coming up next. Uh, Christine Upchurch, followed by the Susan Harmon Experience and American Road Trip Talk with Ghosts. I'll be my own ghost today. Absolutely. (laughs) It's not about ghosts. It's about Washington (laughs) curiosities on American Road Trip Talk. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, everyone. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.